Good morning. It's great to be here. Isn't it good to be here? Yes, I missed it last week. I wasn't here. I was at my Nana's 80th birthday uh, and it was a great time, but I did miss all of you and it's great to be here this morning. Let me start by telling you a story this morning. It's an old fable. It's not one of my stories, uh, but it's a great one and it's going to introduce this topic really well this morning. Once there was a rich man in Thailand. His name was Chu Long. He was a very rich man, yet he wanted more riches and more money. One day he was walking in his garden and he saw a strange bird in a bush. And it was very small, but it had a very beautiful and colourful features. Its voice was also very sweet. And Chu Long had never seen a bird in his life with such beauty. He slowly went near the bush so that the bird couldn't see him. And he caught the bird and the bird actually began to speak. Why have you caught me, the bird asked. I want to make money. I can sell you for a big amount, replied Chulong. But you are already rich. Why do you want more, asked the bird. Because I want to become richer and richer, replied Chulong. But do not dream of making money through me, said the bird. It further added, you can not sell me. Nobody will buy me because in imprisonment, I lose my beauty and my sweet voice. Then it slowly turned into a black bird. The beautiful features were now looking like feathers of a crow. Chulong helps of making money were shattered. He said angrily, I will kill you and I'll eat your meat. Yeah, it's a bit aggressive. Eat me, I am so small you will not get any meat out of me, replied the bird. And Chulong could not answer the bird and the bird suggested... Well, set me free, and in return, I shall teach you three simple but useful rules. What is the use of rules? I want only money, said Chulong. He is rather irritated at this point. But these rules can profit you greatly, added the bird. Profit me, really? Then I shall set you free, but how can I trust you won't fly away, said Chulong. I give you my word, and I always keep my word, said the bird. Shulong wanted to take a chance, so he released the bird and it flew up at once. Then it sat on a branch in a tree out of reach and it started changing back to its normal beautiful colours. Shulong said, now teach me these rules. Certainly, said the bird. It said, the first rule is never believe anything others say. The second rule is never be sad about something you do not have. And the third rule is never throw away what you have in your hand. You silly bird, shouted Chulong, and he added, these three rules are known to everyone. You have cheated me. But the bird said to Chulong, just sit down for a while. Think about all your actions of today. You had me in your hands, but you threw me away. You believed all that I said, and you are sad about not having me. The rules are simple, but you never followed them. Now do you see the value of the rules? So saying this, the bird flew away and disappeared from his sight. It's an interesting little, little tale, isn't it? And I'll explain why it's appropriate this morning in just a second, but let's pray first. Lord God, we just pray in this moment that you speak clearly. And I pray as we hear that words will resonate in our heart, that you'll give us words and you'll speak to us, to our, our lives, and where this may be appropriate. Amen. So, just a quick recap for everyone, because 
I was away last week, but other people have also been away, I'm sure. We got busy lives. But the quick recap, we're going to pop up. It's the, the recap slide. Thanks, Chris. What we've done so far, we're not going to dwell on it too much, but we've done six weeks so far already. This is the seventh week of the series. What is the good life? Morals and ethics, here and now, possessions, love and hate and freedom. And how does this all work in the good life? The good life, not just good because we want it to be good, but according to God. And this week, I have been tasked with preaching on laws and rules, which is a big learning week for Caleb because whenever someone mentions rules to me, before this week, I always said, rules are made to be broken. And so I had to change how I act because you have to practice what you preach. <laughs> no, I didn't just break rules. But laws and rules. And laws and rules specifically in accordance to living the good life according to God. Because it's, it's something that's stereotyped about Christianity, isn't it? There's lots of rules and you have to live in a certain way. And uh, part of it is living a life in a good way according to God. But how does this all work? How does this relate? And how is it actually that even the last week's sermon on freedom have a relationship with these rules and how does that work? So let's firstly start with some more theory, if you'd like, not theory, uh, some theology. Theory, I've been doing music just previously. Theology. Let's do some theology quickly, and I'll teach you a little bit about the Old Testament rules, okay? There's actually 613 commandments, rules, laws, whatever you want to call them, in the Old Testament. So we're going to have a long sermon as I go through each of them and apply it to our lives. Just kidding. We're not going to be here that long. 613 commands in the Old Testament given by God. These aren't just the ones that people have imposed into it. These 613 are given by God and they're for the Israelites to follow. So these rules are how they're meant to live. And there's three categories for these rules. The three categories are civil, so there's civil rules, there's ceremonial, ceremonial laws, as we have on the screen, and moral laws. Now let me explain what these three are real quickly. The civil laws instructed people on how to live day to day. It tells them how they're going to be as a nation and how they interact with each other. So, for example, we have in Deuteronomy 24, verse 10 to 13, if you lend anything to your neighbour, do not enter his house to pick up the item he is giving as security, like a deposit. You must wait outside while he goes in and brings it out to you. If your neighbour is poor and gives you his cloak as security for a loan, do not keep the cloak overnight. Return the cloak to its owner by sunset so he can stay warm through the night and bless you. And the Lord your God will count you as righteous. How many knew that was a rule in the Bible? Uh, but that's a civil law. See how that's interacting directly with each other and how they're to treat each other as a community. So that's civil laws. The second one was ceremonial laws. And these laws are all about how to worship God, right? These are ceremonial laws, how to worship God and everything that was done in the temple. So this reading's a little bit longer, so I'm going to read through it quick, but it's on the screen so you can read it with me. The Lord called to Moses from the tabernacle and said to him, 
Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you present an animal as an offering to the Lord, you may take it from your herd of cattle or your flock of sheep and goats. If the animal you present as a burnt offering is from the herd, it must be a male with no defects. Bring it to the entrance of the tabernacle so you may be accepted by the Lord. Lay your hand on the animal's head and the Lord will accept its death in your place to purify you, making you right with him. Then slaughter your young bull in the Lord's presence and Aaron's sons, the priests, will present the animal's blood by splattering it against the sides of the altar and the stands at the entrance to the tabernacle. Then skin the animal and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priests, and the, will build a fire on the altar. They will arrange the pieces of the offering, including the head and fat, on the wood burning on the altar. But the internal organs and legs must be first washed with water. Then the priests will burn the entire sacrifice on the altar as the burnt offering. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. We could keep going, but I might just stop there. Can you see what it is? It's, it's actually kind of gruesome, isn't it? Uh, I'm glad we have no animal activists, otherwise I would have been in a lot of trouble right now. Um, But can you see, this is how God tells his people, this is before Jesus, why I have to do sacrifices, right? This is God telling them, this is how you're going to worship me, and this is how you're going to be right in my sight. These are ceremonial laws. And then finally, we have the moral laws, And these moral laws are also known as the Ten Commandments. And what they are is they're like a summary, a a revision of all God's laws that are listed prior. And so let's read them together. Because these are actually about how humans are to interact with God and how they're to interact with each other. So this says, Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. This is the first commandment. You must not have any other God but me. You must not take, make yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God. And I am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. This is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Honour your father and mother. Fathers and mothers smile there. That's a good one. Honour your father and mother, then you will live a long life full in the land and your Lord, your God, is giving you. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely against your neighbour. You must not cover your, cover your neighbour's house and you must not cover your neighbour's wife, male or female servants, ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbour. Ten Commandments. 
Interestingly, here's a little side note. All the Ten Commandments, except for the fourth, are mentioned in the New Testament. So that's, that's a pretty cool, interesting little thing. So what is the purpose, then, of all these laws? Because that's where we come to. It's like, cool, there's 613, and uh, we, don't, we don't probably know most of them. I personally don't. What I like to think of when I, when I think of the rules and the laws here in the Bible, and we use this analogy a lot, but it's like a diamond, and you hold up your diamond, and you look at it, and you see one of the facets, And that facet is as if you see one aspect of God and his holiness, his greatness, his power. And then you turn it and then you see another facet. And those really great diamonds which have all these great facets, that's what like these laws are doing. They're turning it that little bit so you get a new picture of God. And it's the same God, but it's just that little bit different. You get to see something new about him. Another way of thinking of it is also, this is something else that the laws do, is it's like a bunch of signs that eventually point to Jesus. And this is where we're heading with the sermon this morning because this is the important part about the laws. Because if it wasn't for all these laws and all these things that happened, then actually it doesn't show the grandeur of what Jesus does to actually take our place, having him being the one that fulfills all the laws. So, the question is, what do the laws mean for us in the light with Jesus? And as Christians today, how do you know which laws to follow? Because some of them carry through, don't they? And some of them don't. And that's what we often have to wrestle through. I'll say it first and front up. You're not bound to all 613 laws. Hallelujah. Can I hear a hallelujah? Hallelujah. Waking everyone up. 613 laws. We're not bound to them. In in Romans 10 verse 4, it says this, For Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Notice that there, is the end of the law. This does not mean, though, that we can do whatever we want. Because sin is still sin, and it needs to be avoided. However, what this here says is our reason for avoiding sin shouldn't be because we're told to, but it should be because of the love for the grace that Jesus has brought to us. It's no longer because we have to do these things to be purified, but because of the act that Jesus has done for us. And so because of that, we follow them because we love Jesus and what he's done. And this may be hard for some people, but we know we do not go to heaven or go have a pleasurable life with an enjoyable relationship with God by following the rules. This just isn't a Caleb thought either. This is what it says in Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9. Actually, I don't think I put that one in because I wanted to tell them. It's by grace we are saved through Jesus Christ. We wrote a song about that, which we're going to sing later. Through grace we're saved by Jesus Christ, not because of the laws that were there prior to Jesus are we saved.
Unfortunately, though, in society, that's not often the message that has been portrayed. 95% of the time, when I meet with someone new, and I meet a lot of new people in Cronulla or in the surrounding areas, the first thing that they do is their jaw hits the floor when I tell them that I work in and for the church, and they say, but you don't live like this idea that I have in my mind. You know, I'm out having a beverage at a bar or something, or I'm out in the gym. And they're like, can you do that as a Christian? And I can't count it on two hands anymore, the amount of times that people look at me and say that. It's often the first conversation. And it leaves a really poignant question on our lives, doesn't it? Because personally... Are you actually facilitating the image of someone that's just living by the law and the codes that's set up in the church or in the, what you've done in life? Or are you actually living a life that's enjoying a life with Jesus, the good life, but you are submitting to these rules to help make your life better? Because if you're not living the second one, you're not actually showing the light of Jesus to others in the community. And I don't think, I would probably say 100% sure, people will not want to come into a relationship with God if it looks like you just have to submit to everything rather than living a life that looks like an enjoyable relationship with Jesus. So, living the good life in the light of God's laws. Sounds quite heavy, doesn't it? Living the good life in the light of God's laws. But actually, that should be a really encouraging statement. Because I'm not actually against the laws. Let me put that there right now. I think the, the, the wars have this incredible wisdom behind them and bring us into a more fuller and enjoyable life. It starts with this relationship between sin and lawlessness. Let me read to you from 1 John verse 3. It says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. That's 1 John verse 3, and it's 4 and 5. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And then Romans 6 verse 23 says, for the wages of sin, or lawlessness, from what we just took from the previous passage, whoever for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you see from these two New Testament verses that God's law, unless a change is, sin is contrary to God's law, right? And unless a change is brought about, lawlessness results in our demise for all time. Sin is lawlessness and consequently is an unsurmountable barrier to a godly relationship. Sin is the violation of law, God's law, in mind or in deed. And if we are not keeping his law, we are sinful or lawless. We just cannot expect a relationship with God in those circumstances. When Jesus was teaching and preaching, he teaches his role with the laws. And this is what he says regarding himself and the law. 
Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one title will by no means pass from the law till it is fulfilled. That's from Matthew 5. Notice there it says, I did not come to destroy the law. And it appears that most professing Christians who read above Scripture, they see the word fulfill and they put this other word abolish in there. People often think of when it says fulfill the law that they mean abolish it, but that's not what it is. For example, if someone takes a role in somewhere, say my role here, I am fulfilling the role, that does not mean you're abolishing what I am doing. See, actually it goes above. And what Jesus is saying is when he fulfills the law, he takes precedence over it. That doesn't get rid of the law, but it's not actually the law that is the highest order there. Christ came to preside over the law, enabling his followers to delight in a positive and obedient relationship with the Father. Let me give you two examples of two people from the Bible that actually uh, had a full life because they embraced God's law. King David, and we do know how King David also was a quite naughty guy too, but he was defined as, in Acts 13.22, a man after my own heart. King David of Israel, we know who that is? Do I get some head nods? Yeah, King David, the greatest ruler of Israel. He had his faults, but in his own words, uh, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. This is what David says about the law. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. That's Psalm 19, verse 7. And other Psalms that he has bitterly repent of his sins and delight in God's law. Now you might think, but Caleb, David was before Jesus, so that doesn't really count because that's his way of being able to embrace with God and have that relationship. You're right. So let's look at someone in the New Testament. Paul. Everyone knows who Paul is? The one that wrote most of the letters in the New Testament? Good. Paul writes this. It's a delight. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. That's Romans 7 verse 22. For I delight in the law of God. Not only did he delight in the law, he preached it to all those who were seeking a relationship with God. Now, if you want those verses, come see me and I'll happily go through them with you. So that leaves a question because we've got David, we've got Paul who delight in the law. What about you? That's the third question. I don't think often we engage with it to think, do I delight in what God tells me to live by? And if you don't, why? Jesus rebukes the Pharisees because they don't delight in it. 
What, what he says is, he says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites when he writes, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. Now, there's, that's hard to understand, but what it means is you're telling people what to do and you're living a set of rules, but you're just getting the rules. You're not enjoying the wisdom underneath it. You're not embracing the goodness of love that it comes through underneath it when you start to do it. You're just going through the motions. Do these words of Jesus strike you? And maybe you're not because you are delighting in the law and that's awesome. But if they do, we need to change that because what we need is, what we want is to actually have people come into and enjoy and embrace the love that is brought through Jesus. So, let me give you three thoughts to wrap up, to wrap up this idea of the law in the good life. If we are living by God's law, by the standard that's set out for us, then we will personally experience God's love and great desire, desire for great relationship with us. Because if we're living by what God tells us to do, then there's nothing stopping us from growing in our faith. In fact, it probably will exponentially grow. Your depth of relationship will grow with God and your understanding of God's wisdom. See, that's no longer just doing it for the sake of doing it, but doing it because you know why you want to do it. And it will craft you into this workmanship that Paul says, this great masterpiece God's workmanship will build you into this great piece of work. The second one that we have is, if we are living by God's law, then our lives will naturally be an example and light to those around us. People say, how do you live so that people notice that you're different? It doesn't take much. Just do what you're told. <laughs> Because if you're living how God tells you to live, it's already going to be embedded in your nature and in how you act and how you talk to show the light of God. Because actually you're living what God tells you to live. And so you don't have to even say anything fancy or do these sorts of prayers or anything, but just your living will change people's opinions on what it looks like. And finally, this is the big one. If we're living by God's law, it gives us a greater appreciation of Jesus. And I think sometimes we can forget the grandeur of the cross. And it often comes back to sitting and meditating on it or just being in the space where you're reminded of how big that act was. And in this particular moment when we're talking about 613 laws when we remember that Jesus actually came and he took all of that and said I've done it 
and I am perfect because I could do it. And then he says, I know you can't, but I'm going to the cross for you so that you don't have to do this. It puts real revelation to actually how big this thing that he did for us is. And there's many more aspects to it. But in when we're thinking about the law, he set us free from all of that, which is incredible. And he says, it is finished. And now we have the ability to engage with God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, when despite the laws. You don't have to do it ritualistically anymore. It's because you want a relationship and can engage with him because of Jesus' works. Let's pray together. Lord God, we just, uh, we admire for a moment what it is that you've done. Lord God, we just thank you that you have come and lived the perfect life according to the laws and what it means to live in the good life. And despite our inability to achieve that, you say, that's okay because I took that. And you come in and just, we thank you for saying, just choose me. And so right now we do. We take that opportunity to choose you, God. And we just pray as we try our best to live this life, we remember that it's by grace that you've actually taken us into your family. Lord God, I just pray as we, we think maybe or just dwell on how we're acting or what we, we're looking at or uh, how, we're, how we go about these laws through the week while it's in our mind, just pray that you help us to best achieve what we can. But may we not be stunted or crippled by fear in all these laws, but may they remind us of your great work. Pray this in your mighty name. Amen.